Let's uh, pray in preparation for uh, the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. Uh, pray that you would help us to um, focus our hearts and our minds and our our lives on you, Lord, as we hear the word. Help me to be faithful in preaching the word. Help me to be uh, uh, um, accurate in representing what the what the scriptures have to say, and and help me to be uh, um, careful that that nothing false would come out of my mouth. And Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with the folks who are here and help them to hear your word, hear from you, and and help them to come to know you more intimately through through the preaching of the word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's see if I can. I was really hoping Jeremy would move this. Um, and I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to figure out this tangle of wires and everything else, and otherwise I'm going to be tripping over it the whole time. And we all enjoy watching me trip and fall, but um, I uh, I don't want to. So so um, last weekend. I uh, I was sitting on the couch um, and I was I was looking for the TV remote, trying to find it without getting up. I don't know if any of y'all have ever done that. Um, and and as I was rifling around in the cushions, I I found something. Um, not the remote, but about I don't know five or six months ago, my wife lost her wedding ring. Um, which is kind of an irony. I lose my wedding ring, or I haven't in years, but when I, when we were first married, I would take it off to work on the car, I'd take it off to go to the gym, and I'd lose it for like, I lost it for a year once. You know, I found it hanging on a nail in the garage, you know, and awful. And my wife is careful as can be, and she lost it. And she lost it good, and we, we searched carefully. And I, I was looking around and wedged between like the underneath the fabric and the arm and the frame was this ring. And I, I yelled. In fact, I was like, I pinned it, and I'm like, go get a knife, go get a knife, quick, quick, because it almost fell again, and then it would have been lost in the black hole that is the couch. And and I, I gave it to her, and she, she cried, actually, which I, I hope I'm not embarrassing. I mean, she was overjoyed to get it back. Um, and and I was thinking, as I was preparing for this message, um, this is the first our our Christmas series, um, I was thinking about uh, when she lost it, and like we we did everything looking for this thing. Have you all ever lost like a wedding ring or something something precious? I mean, we've managed to hold on to these rings for 18 years, you know, and and that you know she was she was very upset about losing it, and and I we borrowed a metal detector and did a did a thorough search of the property and. And I went out, we have a pickup truck in our yard, and about once every four months I take the garbage out, whether it needs to or not. <laughs> and I, I went out and I took every bag out of the trash truck. You know, and this is the middle of summer, and I, and I sifted through trash. Um, you know, and I don't know if you all have ever done that. There's, there's something really unpleasant about garbage that's been in a pickup truck for months. And I, I sorted through garbage up to my elbows and, and searched, and I searched through the garbage in the in the kitchen, and I, I, I mean, just thoroughly dug around in in the trash. And I, I'm going to say it: I do not like doing things like that. Anybody else in the same boat? I this was this was at the top of the list of things that I did not want to do, but I wasn't going to make my wife do it, right? I mean, you could argue, well, it was her ring, and she lost it. But, you know, I, 
I, I wanted to find it for her, and I wanted to look, and I wanted to search, and so I did this, this nasty, stinky, gross job. Um, I, I'm starting out with this idea um, because I, it's hard to illustrate this effectively, like what we're going to be talking about. Um, Christmas sermon that starts with garbage? This ought to be fun. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I want to put into perspective, we're going to talk over the next four weeks as we prepare for Christmas, we're going to be talking about um, kind of the extreme length that God goes on our behalf, like what Christmas is about and why it is so unique and different and amazing. Um, and it, it starts out with, with this, this reality that like, like on, on Christmas, like in Bethlehem, in that manger, you know, thousands of years ago now, um, God did almost the unthinkable. Actually, it was the unthinkable. Nobody else, um, like it was, it was actually one of the things that made Christianity unpopular and controversial. And we'll, we'll kind of um, get into this. Like a, as, as, as a religion in the ancient world, um, Christmas on its own was enough to tick off everybody who was Jewish, right? Because they were like, well, God becomes a man? Nope. I mean, like, actually, that was enough to get you executed. Like, if you said that out loud, the Jewish people might drag you out and beat you to death with rocks because, because it was such an offensive idea. And amongst, like, the non-Jewish folks, this was a, just a silly idea, and they would make fun of you for it because they believed everything in this world, like, this is the way that Greek philosophy from Plato on, like, was built on this idea that everything in this world is imperfect and that out there, there's sort of a perfect version, right, the, the forms, they would call it. Um, and, and for Greek folks, they would look at the world and they were kind of, you know, it was imperfect. You would never, the idea that like, like God would become man is almost, they would make fun of you for it because it was contrary to what everybody just knew was true. And so at the time, Christmas was, was so far out there. And I think we lose some of that culturally because we're so distant. And this series, we're going to talk about some of this stuff, like why, Christian, why Christmas itself is so unique and why it's so important. And we're going to begin with this idea that, um, well, I'm going to give you some background. And this is big picture background, okay? Everybody with me? We're going to start in the beginning. Genesis. This is 1, 9 to 10. Um, God said... Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the water he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Y'all are familiar with this phrase, right? Because God does this over and over and over again as he's creating. He creates the land and the sea and it is good. He creates man and it is good. He is good. Um, he creates like everything, the animals, the plants, everything, and it is good. And we generally, like this is kind of a loaded term, right? We look at it and it's like, man, I did a good job, right? I look at my kids, they're good looking, they're, you know, healthy, and I say, man, good job. Good job, Jess. Way to make beautiful kids. I, um, but there's kind of a second idea here. Um, the creation as God made it was perfect, right? Not only was it um, good as in like pretty awesome, but it was good as in morally perfect. It was in harmony with God's will, right? And there was no sin or no brokenness and no like messed up anything. It was, it was in harmony with God, 
right? It's a little like, I don't know, have you ever heard somebody play out a tune or sing out a tune and they just stick out and there's no harmony to it? Um, it's like that, like the creation was in harmony with God's will. And like we see this over and over again because the creation was morally and ethically good. And, and like I'm going to define something here. Um, we talk about good and evil or right and wrong. What is good is in harmony with what God desires because that's in God's nature. God is holy and pure and good. And everything that we know to be good is in harmony with God, right? Um, that which is evil is out of harmony with God. That is, which is sinful is out of harmony with God. And in Genesis 3, we see where evil shows up, right? Um, so the world is perfect, Adam and Eve, perfect wonderful world to live in. They could talk to God. They literally walk with God in the garden and have conversations with him, right? Like they are so close with him that it is, it is like somebody you would know in your own house, right? I mean, they are, there's no secrets. There's no nothing. They are in perfect like communion with him. But now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Do, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this is kind of a half-truth. The serpent tells them, if you eat off this tree, you'll be like God. And they are sort of like God already. They're made in his image, right? I mean, this is like getting permission to drive your own car. Um, but, you know, they become like God in a different way because they understand that there are some things that are out of harmony with God's will. And they find this out basically by falling into it. It's a little like discovering water is wet by being thrown in a pool, right? And that's exactly what happens to them. They go from being in harmony with God, in intimate, close relationship with God, to being the opposite. And into the creation at this point comes disharmony and brokenness. And the world we live in suffers from this. When you see somebody sick, right? Sickness was never a part of the plan. We are designed to live forever. Sickness and death is a part of the, the creation being broken and out of harmony with God's will, right? And like it's just a reality, and it came about because of these guys, right? And from that point forward, everything just sort of like spreads, and the disharmony gets worse, and sin goes everywhere, and it infects everything, and it messes up the world. Um, in fact, actually, um, Paul gives us an idea about this in Romans. He's talking about Jesus and Adam, and he's comparing the two. And he says, but the gift, meaning Jesus' like coming and dying for us, is not like the trespass, meaning the eating of the apple. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So he says, listen, Jesus' death for us brings new life, but that one act, that sin, that brokenness, it brought like this death into the world. And folks die because of it. That's where it came from. Adam and Eve. Thank you very much. And actually, Adam, it is Adam's fault, not Eve's. We don't blame Eve. We blame Adam. Um, 
And actually, that's what he's doing there. Uh, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Meaning, because of Adam, sin came into the world, and it spread out, and judgment came, and it multiplied. But that one death of Christ, that atoning sacrifice, him taking punishment for us, provides forgiveness for all who accept it, right? For all who come under his grace. Um, for it was by the tr- for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? Kind of to sum up where I'm going with this, Paul is telling us because of Adam, sin came into the world. Because of Adam, death came into the world. Because of Adam, the creation became at odds with God. Now, why is that? Well, I'm going to give you like a very straightforward statement, right? God hates sin, right? We don't generally talk about God hating people unless like we're talking about crazy people with signs saying it, right? And it's not that God hates people. God hates sin. God despises sin. Um, in fact, so much so, like here, Proverbs gives us, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What's Proverbs telling us? God hates lying. God hates arrogance. God hates when people create division for no reason. God, I mean, like, God hates sin, right? Anything that is, like, contrary, like, anything that is in rebellion against him, God hates it. Like, he is not okay with it. Um, and really, some of that is built into us, right? Have you ever come across a story of horrible injustice, and it just it makes you angry, and you sort of hunger for revenge? You think, somebody should make this right. Like, there are movies about this. Heck, there are a lot of movies about this where the good guy is wronged and he spends the rest of the movie exacting justice and revenge um, because this is built into us. It's a desire we have to see justice done. Um, and we, we tend to be in harmony with God in this respect. There's a part of us that hates wickedness and hates evil. Um, there's a part of us that is evil, right? Because of the fall, we are all affected by it. I rebel against God, you rebel against God. None of us gets to be all high and mighty and say, man, I'm better than you. Nope. We're all in this spot. We're all affected by sin. We're all under Adam's curse. Thanks a lot, Adam. Um, He's not even here today. Otherwise, I'd get to... All right. (laughs) Um, Habakkuk is one of the prophets from the Old Testament. He gives us uh, in chapter 1, Lord, are you not everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute justice. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's referring to enemies of the Jewish people who are coming to like exact his punishment. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked drop their microphones, while the wicked swallow up those who are righteous, who are more righteous than themselves? What um, Habakkuk is talking about is like the Jewish people are undergoing um, judgment, and he's sort of asking God, what's the deal here? Why aren't you acting? Um, but here's the important line here. Here's what I wanted to pick out. 
Um, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Meaning God is so perfect and holy and he hates sin. He is so like in opposition, opposite to this stuff that he doesn't look on it. Right? Um, God encounters sin. And actually you can get a great image of this um, in the book of uh, Exodus. Um, and Leviticus, where like God appears near his people in the mountains, and Moses would go and talk to him, and people could climb the mountain, come near to God, and like be obliterated because they were sinful, right? Like if you couldn't come into God's presence because his holiness is like a consuming fire, it purifies everything that comes near it. God is, um, there's that joke about Chuck Norris, right? When Chuck Norris jumps in the water, he doesn't get wet, the water gets Chuck Norris. It's sort of like this. When sin approaches God, sin does not make God dirty. He, you know, it becomes clean, like it gets washed away. Um, we see it when Jesus is walking through a crowd of folks and a woman who is unclean approaches him. She had an illness that made her ritually unclean, like her whole life. And she comes up and she touches Jesus. And what happens is she gets clean. Like she, she doesn't make Jesus unholy. Because God's holiness is like this fire, and he's so revulsed and angry at sin that, like, he doesn't look on it, right? And, in fact, actually, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, what we see happen is God turns his back on Jesus. God looks away because all of the sins that we commit gets put on him, and God doesn't, like, just looks away from him. And, like, like, like this horrible thing, because God will not look on sin, he is angered by it. He's disgusted by it. He's revulsed by it. God is, God is very anti-sin. And like this is because he's holy. I mean, this is of all these qualities we have. Like I can describe my wife and give you qualities, right? My wife is beautiful. My wife is strong-willed. My wife is um, honest, right? My wife is blunt in her honesty. Um, my wife is, is loving and, and wonderful. Like, she has all of these qualities. God has qualities, right? God is love. We've heard that before, right? Um, God's preeminent quality is that he is holy, right? God is holy. And actually in Isaiah we see this, like where the angels are singing and they say, the, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, the idea behind this is that God is pure and good and holy and clean, and and that is like the dominant characteristic of God. And because of that, like God has to judge sin; it's got to be judged. And it is an awful thing that that's the case. Like for me, I don't know about you guys, but the idea of God like looking at my sin and judging it—I'm scared of that. Just me. Like, it is not cool. Um, God accommodates that in Jesus. That's what Christmas is about, is God's Son comes to earth. He lives our lives. He lives it perfect. He doesn't sin. Like, when he's faced with temptation, he overcomes it the whole nine yards. And then he takes punishment for our sin. And this is the way that God provides to escape judgment. But God is holy, and he is righteous, and he is like a judge. And this is something we, we don't like to talk about in Christianity, and we especially don't like to talk about it at Christmas, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks. God is angry, but it is a part of who he is. God judges. Um, one last line from uh, 
Isaiah, and then we're going we're gonna to come around to the, the good part here. Um, but, your iniquity, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that, you will not, so that he will not hear. Isaiah is talking about the Jewish people and like the problem they're having with God, but this is a reality that affects all of us, right? Um, our sin makes it so that we don't like see God in the world around us. Right? Like Adam and Eve got to hang out with him in the garden. Sin makes him distant. Suddenly he's a long way off. And that's because of us, right? Nobody makes me rebel. Nobody makes me sin. Um, that's the, the, the effect that sin has. It creates distance. But, 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 um, Romans 5 again. And read Romans 5 when you get home. This is one of the best chapters. Love it. Um, you see at the right time when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now understand what Paul is saying here is, while we were in this place where we were God's enemies, while we were powerless to help ourselves, while we were in open rebellion, while we were doing things to hurt each other and offend God, he sends Jesus to die for us, Right? Not because we deserve it, but because God loves us. Now, watch this. Um, if God is revulsed by sin, if God won't look on it, if God is so holy that his holiness is a fire that consumes it, on Christmas, what we see is God himself stepping into the middle of every bit of ugliness and horribleness, this mess, and he, he swims in it for 30 years, Right? I mean, it, it's, I don't know, I started out talking about my wife's wedding ring in the garbage truck, right? Um, imagine this for a second, like digging through the smelly trash looking for this thing, right? And this is what God does on our behalf. God steps into the mess that is in the world. Like he's born in a barn. Like, like his cradle is a, is a, um, is a trough, Right? I'm, I'm surrounded by farmers and ranchers. You all know how pleasant troughs are, right? <laughs> you all know how pleasant barns are. This is God, the king of the universe, cannot look on anything unholy, born in a stable. Born, period. I mean, birth is gross, isn't it? Um, but take it a step past that. Jesus goes out and he talks to people who are prostitutes and drunks and thieves, and people who, like, pretend to love God but hate him and use God as a way to oppress their neighbors, right? And Jesus, like, yells at these people, and he fights with them. And, like, this is the God, again, who is so holy that he consumes wickedness. It destroys it and burns it away. That God stepped into the world and just sat in it with us because he loved you. Because he loves you that much that he would go to any length to save you. I mean, it's beyond me digging through the trash looking for my wife's wedding ring, right? I mean, I'm trying to give an analogy. I couldn't think of anything from my own life that, like, compares because the magnitude of it is enormous. God's love for you demonstrated, like, just in the birth of Jesus is so huge. It is so big. Um, that God will step into the mess that is this world to make you right with him, to bring you close to him, um, to provide you an opportunity to be in a relationship with him. Um, 
in Philippians we see, uh, and I use this passage a lot because I really like it. Uh, this is from a, an early church hymn. Paul quotes it. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, meaning he was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, like, on Christmas, what we're celebrating is God steps into the world and humiliates himself out of love for you. Like he abides in the sin and brokenness of the world. And then like he comes to a point where the father who he loves dearly looks on him and sees our sin. He becomes sin for our sake. Like, Can you imagine that? I mean, to give you a little perspective, if you go through the Old Testament, I'm not going to share the grossest ones, but like the, the descriptions of the Bible offers about like what God sees when he sees sin. Like he, it's compared to like uh, Isaiah gives us, uh, and I gonna, I think, I think, uh, well, for even our best works are like filthy rags next to, next to his robes of righteousness, right? What that filthy rags is a nice way of saying menstrual rags. Like it's a churched up version they put in the Bible because nobody wants to write like menstrual rags, right? Like dirty tampons compared to God's robes of righteousness. When I'm wearing my good suit, there are many things I don't want to handle. And like God compares our best, even our best works to that compared to his holiness. Um, We see... uh, Excrement is another comparison. I'll tell you the grossest ones I'm not going to share because I'll blush. Um, maybe I'll do a sermon on them one day, uh, but not today. Um, but to understand that God comes down and sits in this mess on our behalf because he loves you. right? Like the scriptures over and over again paint sin as such a horrible thing and understand that the degree to which God is willing to go on your behalf. This is why Christmas is unique. This is why it's special. And actually, this is why we need to celebrate with the knowledge that how much does God loves me? God loves me this much. God loves me enough to go through anything on my behalf. Um, Actually, John 3.16, we all know it and love it. We never go past 16, right? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We all know that part, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they did not believe in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Um, The the second half of that is where I'm closing today. Um, I guess the other comparison, darkness and light, right? Jesus is the light of the world. God loves you so much he sent his son into the world to die for you. He sent his son into the world to reconcile you with him. Um, But we live in a world of darkness, and people love the darkness. And people will say, man, Jesus came all this way for me, but I really love the things I do. Right? 
really love my gossip. I really love my adult television. I love my, my um, man, I love holding things against my wife. We get into an argument, I can be right and win instead of like forgiving and being loving. I love that. Does anybody else love that? And when we choose that over choosing like the path that Christ lays out for us, like we choose exactly that, darkness. Um, but at Christmas we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that Jesus, like God loves us so much he would come and die for us. That God loves you so much he'll step into the mess. It's kind of a gross sermon, I'm sorry. Um, but I couldn't think of a better way to explain it, right? Like Christmas is amazing and it is unique and it is wonderful because God goes through anything, anything, anything to be close to you. To be like, like make you family with him again. Um, my challenge to you this week is, um, actually, it's Christmas. And I like giving things away at Christmas. My wife, who is wonderful and awesome, um, made Christmas ornaments. Every year during Christmas, I give out Christmas ornaments every week. And I don't know how many we have, um, but on your way out, um, pick up a Christmas ornament. And this week, the ornaments are hearts that say Jesus on them, right? And they're sparkly. Um, as you pick it up, um, understand that, like, like <laughs> this is a reminder. Um, God loves you this much. God loves you to the degree that he'll wade through awfulness um, on your behalf. Um, that's actually, uh, has anybody seen Shawshank Redemption? It's one of the, my favorite movies. Love this movie. There's a scene at the end where Andy Dufresne breaks out of prison and he has to like, he cuts a hole in the wall that's like 30 feet long with a little pitchfork and then he like breaks a hole in a plumbing pipe and he gets out through the plumbing and like swims through filth, like 300 yards of, you know, awfulness to get out. He comes out clean on the other side. And this is what Jesus does for us. He swims through this mess. Um, what we're called to do is to follow him, to recognize the awesomeness of this gift. Even him showing up on our behalf is amazing. Um, and this we're going to be talking about is why it's amazing that Jesus came, why it's amazing that Christmas happens. And so my challenge to you this week is to look at your life and ask, like, um, am I living as though there's cleanliness for me on the other side? Am I celebrating, like as you're celebrating Christmas, are you celebrating the fact that God would come and be one of us? That God would step into our world and be one of us in order to save us? Like this is what it's about. This is what we celebrate. This is why it's amazing. God will dig through the garbage looking for you because he loves you that much. We're going to close in prayer and uh, um, I guess a blessing. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Uh, I pray that you would uh, touch our hearts and our minds. Um, help us to be aware of just the extremity of what your son went through to be with us. Um, help us to be aware that God's, like, that your revulsion to sin and, and brokenness and, and just the, the, the messed up nature of our world, Lord, that, that your love is so enormous that you, would, that you would wade through it to make us right. Um, help us to just appreciate that in Jesus' name. I uh, stand up, we'll close with a blessing.